Hey, baby. Hey. Naomi and Andy here with yep. a quick cue slash request. Yes. So, okay, Acast is doing these audience surveys, okay? We put the link in the show notes. The link is going to be in the link tree on our on Instagram and everything like that. Here's the thing, Naomi. Yeah. You know, we're already pretty choosy about the ads right. that we allow on the show. No weapons manufacturers. Raytheon, get out of here. Yeah. Screw off, Raytheon. But we want to make sure that the ads are kind of tailored to y'all. Right. Okay? Right? Say you want to hear ads for a different world DVD box sets. We need to know that. We, we need can to go out that. to them. We can get the word <laughs> out. But we only can get the word out if you give us the word. So you got to fill out the survey. It is quick, quick, quick. And it just lets us know if the ads you're hearing are the right ads for you. Yeah. So get on over to the show notes where that link is or the Couples Therapy link tree and fill out that quick survey so we can pass the word on to ACAST. All right. Roll it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Open your hearts, loosen your butts. It's time for couples therapy. Yeah. This podcast is Andy and Naomi's, where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies, talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling, to messy situationships and conscious and coupling, from Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu, text sex regrets or feeling on your new jubu. They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah, you are invited, ah, needing therapy, I guarantee, baby, we got it. everyone welcome to couples therapy i am naomi and i'm andy <laughs> we're a real life couple a real life couple of comedians and on couples therapy we used to bring you the very best sets from our live show <laughs> but now that the show is not live we are Ugh. interviewing people and duos and couples we like in studio and also answering your relationship questions yeah mostly answering your relationship questions these days Indeed. we got some great ones coming up and a great one today I know. Today's episode is with Ruthie Lindsay. Ruthie is a speaker, co-host of the podcast Unspoken, and a writer who just released a memoir called There I Am. And this episode with Ruthie, you guys, obviously we were trying to answer advice questions, but very quickly we went off the rails and did a deep dive into Ruthie's upbringing. It gets like woo-woo, spiritual, mystical, and I love it. But I think in a in a grounded way... You know, uh, with a, that has a scientific underpinning. Because you know me, Naomi. I would I never. Well, of course. And that was it. You know, I felt like, you know, I think I, I obviously said it when we I were would never. in the conversation that I thought that this was like a more like an episode of your other podcast, Beginnings. <laughs> when you were like, tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about faith. Tell me about being reborn. Um, and so. Well, because she had quite, uh, you know, 
a life and she's been through a lot of uh let's say traumatic incidents exactly um which you guys are about to hear um but we also wanted to let you know if you want to ask an advice question if yeah, you yeah. want to hit us up you know we've got some great episodes coming up who's this? we're going to speak to nicole Byer. we're going to speak to amani hakeem brian safi sarah schaefer if you want to ask some advice questions that we will answer just call in 323-524-7839 leave a voicemail you can also dm us pretty much anywhere <laughs> most people choose instagram for some reason yep that's the well that's the better you know platform now the social media platform that's less likely to depress you <laughs> less likely but still um so so yeah please call us dm us we want your questions we want to help you and you know what inquire we're opening up it doesn't just have to be relationship advice literally what kind of toilet paper to buy ask me i'll tell you <laughs> okay uh naomi has many opinions she has opinions one of the things that drew me to her was that she has opinions on things you wouldn't think people would have opinions on. <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy to hear that because, yeah, I'm really into having opinions about things that don't matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, wonder where you get that from. <laughs> <laughs> Overbearing Woo! mother. Now, before we get into the episode, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Oh, I love when you keep house. <laughs> uh, you and I are part of the uh, DSA... Stimulus Check Campaign Telethon, Woo. which is happening, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, tomorrow, Wednesday, July 1st at 6 p.m. PST. Yes. And uh, basically uh, what DSA, the Immigration Justice Committee out here in L.A. has been doing is asking people to donate uh, their stimulus check or part of their stimulus check or just donate any money. Yeah, whatever they can give. Whatever around. they can Five give. Five bucks, whatever. And what we've been doing is redistributing it to uh, uh, our undocumented neighbors who yes. did not get a stimulus check, who are struggling to pay rent to buy food. Yes. And yes. we're having this telethon. You and I are going to perform Eric Andre, John Early, Mitra Juhari. Yes. Joel, Joel Kim, Kim Booster, Booster. Joe Firestone. It's a cavalcade of stars. Okay. We're yes. coming through. It's three hours. Magical. Hopefully it will make you laugh. It will make you open your heart, loosen your butt, and open your wallet. <laughs> and that's what it's about. Yes. And if you donate at bit.ly bit slash dsa-la-stimulus, you know, as low as $5. You get to watch the whole thing. Yeah. What the whole time. thingamajig. The whole schlazamazoo. Schlazamazoo. Sure. Uh, Love it. So, yeah, you guys, tune in for that. So that's tomorrow. Also, uh, obviously, Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Art's our Twitch show. Oh, my God. Wednesday's going to be chock full. Woo! Yeah, you can't get rid of us. You, God. Can't, you can't shake a stick at us and tell us to get away. Creating so much content over here. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, at twitch.tv slash couples therapy pod, we're putting on a show trying to raise money for good, for good causes. So tune in. Um, finally, you know what? You know, we've got independent Naomi. I thought, you know what? Instead of having these corporate sponsors, <laughs> Walgreens, instead of taking their filthy lucre, we <laughs> would open it up. If you have a small business, if you have your own thing that you would like to advertise on the show, I, you know. Email us at CouplesTherapyPod at gmail.com and we can talk about doing that. Do it. Yeah, I know. Really long, I don't know. Really I long yeah. pause. It was dramatic. We can talk is the point. Andy just said if you, you can talk. We can talk. We can, we talk. can talk. We can talk. All right. I think that's enough. I think it's time to our... get to Ruthie Lindsay's <laughs> mystical journey. Roll it. 
I'm dispensing with all of the uh, the pleasantries because because uh, almost immediately we started talking deep stuff, and I was like, oh yes, let's wait, let's let's talk about this on the show. Yeah, we were talking about you were saying that like uh, uh, it's uh, there's a feeling of a uh, today of a trauma response. Sure. Yeah. Uh, can you explain what you were like? Because we were just yeah talking about sort of like the feeling of I was saying how you know I'm finding it is hard to kind of work or not necessarily work but just like move and do anything kind of productive uh given everything happening around us it's like living in molasses yes molasses <laughs> yes yeah that idea of being stuck and of freezing it makes so much sense because we have these trauma responses of fight flight freeze and appease and mm. when you know they always say in counseling when our responses to things are hysterical they're always historical and this is bringing up as your lived experience as this beautiful woman of color this is so triggering this is bringing up so much trauma and our trauma responses when we're triggered are fight flight freeze and appease and it makes total sense because this is traumatizing that you would feel frozen, that you'd feel stuck, that would be hard to even move because this is bringing up your own trauma, generational trauma, trauma of the past 400 years of the systemic racism. And so, of course, you feel that way. That is the most, that is actually your human's, your human response, your nervous system to protect you. It's a protective measure which is wild. That is very wild. Also, you're so affirming, Ruthie. You know, from the moment I met you, you know, Ruthie, I'm just to tell you slash our listeners, Ruthie and I met in October of last year, the before times performing on together live, um, which is a magical tour of women speakers and authors and writers and performers. And was it Cincinnati or was it Detroit? Detroit. Yes. And it was like, and so, yeah, I, I just done the day before Cincinnati and I was also feeling very, you know, I didn't know any of them. And I felt like that wasn't my world, you know, as a comic, I'm used to just like comedy audiences. And I felt like this was like all white women who came from dry bar and wanted to get lifted. It was like that vibe. And I was like, I don't know what to do like the audience, but they were wonderful. Right. They ended up being great. But then like you came the second day and I was like another new person. And then, and like, you're just like, you're so, um, you know, you're so warm. And I was like, I like her. She's my new mommy. And it was like, <laughs> the beginning, I was like, perfect, perfect. This is wonderful. But, um, oh, but um, I like you so much. <laughs> the instant I met you, the instant, I'm like, um, can I collect you? Can we be pals? I know. <laughs> okay, good. I think it's because you also you also had on a stylish hat, and you know I really wish I could be a hat person, Andy. Naomi's mom sent her a hat for <laughs> us because the only times we get out of the house are to walk our dog, and so <laughs> Naomi, I think you have a. Uh, it's not unstylish. It's not like she sent you like uh, a like newsy cap. It's a 19- granny hat, though. It's a yes, but like <laughs> granny glasses are in. So why not granny hats? Oh, That's no. all I'm saying. It's like very functional. Go to the hippest areas of Los Angeles and New York. <laughs> you see people with giant grandma glasses. Yeah, yeah. I think you're on the forefront. I'll say you this. You're on the forefront. Well, maybe. Maybe. Hot couture. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Right, right. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So wait, do you mind if I ask? I, 
uh, I imagine at this point you were probably, uh, I, uh, you could tell me. I would imagine you're just like uh, you either sick of having to tell your story <laughs> or um, uh, what's the other? Uh, that you're just you just go into uh, kind of uh, rote mode, right? You're just like. But I, I, I only ask this because uh, to uh, for the listeners who might be uh, unaware um, to explain kind of like this idea of like why you know so much about trauma. And yes. How- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have done a lot of work because I was so not okay for a very, very, very long time. Um, you know, Earth School. We all have trauma. I, I mean, and it's going to look different for everyone. I, um, I also have a lot of privilege. I had a lot of things handed to me that were really incredible. Um, but then, you know, also I had a really terrible car accident where I, um, broke my neck and I was hit by an ambulance and broke the top two vertebrae, had a 5% chance to live and a 1% chance to walk. And then years later, the wire from my spinal cord fusion broke and pierced my brainstem. And I'm the only human in the world that's ever had that. And I shouldn't be speaking or breathing or walking or, I mean, have any brain functioning or anything, but it took them about five years to discover that. So I lived in my bed just in, you know, pretty, not pretty, in debilitating pain, um, not functional uh, on every narcotic under the sun. Um, You know, I was on the highest level of fentanyl patch that they give dying cancer patients until finally a doctor realized what was going on. Because every time before that, they would have me do MRIs, the film would come back and there'd be this black spot on it. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, oh, that's just the magnet, the machine interacting with the wire. God damn um, it. Your spinal fusion, everything around it's fine. We tried all these different therapies. Of course, nothing helped. So then they started me on drugs and I didn't want to hurt all the time. I wasn't just not okay. And so I took yeah. everything they recommended. And, you know, narcotics aren't created for chronic conditions. It's for yes. <laughs> conditions. So you need yeah. more and more and more. Yeah. So finally, after almost four and a half years, this one doctor was like, I can't tell you what's happening until I see what's under that spot. And this $50 x-ray basically showed that the wire had broken and pierced my brainstem. And Wait a minute. Here's the thing. I And this is the reason like, oh, doctor, like this is what can kill me. Doctors are fucking just people. You know what I mean? And it's the luck of the damn draw. And that's the part that is so stressful. So wait, so what you're saying is, so the MRIs were showing the spot, and then the other doctor, but it was an X. I thought an MRI is supposed to be deeper than the X-ray. Like, shouldn't the MRI tell you more? One hundred percent. That's why everyone was always having me do it. But because of the hardware in my spinal oh. cord, there was a magnetic. It's a magnetic something something MRI, and so <laughs> the magnet in that machine was interacting with it. And so it just wouldn't uh, show the whole picture. So literally all it took was this $50. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> you know, a lot of other things had happened. I mean, I could, yeah. you know, I, my dad was on his way to see me two weeks after we found out about the wire in my brain to tell me he'd sell our farm so I could have the surgery because insurance wasn't going to cover it because it was a pre-existing injury. 
And on his way, he stopped to visit. So I grew up on a farm um, in South Louisiana. My dad plowed our garden with a mule. Um, oh, my God. So country. Like, I, we had so many horses and cattle and chicken and dogs. and I mean, just all the things. And so he was literally on his way to see me and had told my, my mom and my godfather that he was going to tell me he'd sell our farm so that I could have this surgery because yeah. insurance wouldn't cover it. And he stopped to visit our Amish friends because we had yeah. Amish friends um, <laughs> on the way to pick up like a donkey or a mule, as you do. And um, we don't know exactly what happened because he wasn't with anyone at the time, but he ended up falling down a flight of stairs and passing away of brain damage. Um, and it was just this crazy, traumatic, yeah. heart-wrenching, heartbreaking. I had gotten married. My pain had started exactly one year after I'd gotten married. And I just, you know, had no idea how to handle all the pain and all the trauma and all the heartbreak. And I grew up in the South. It's like, you show up, you be sweet, you smile, you be pretty. That was like, when I walk in the front door, my mom would not say, how was your day? She'd say, what did they say about you today? Did they say how pretty you are? And so you put all your worth into these things outside of you to, to tell you're, you're worthy and you're okay and you're good. And then I was also a part of a denomination and a church family that said I was this broken, depraved wretch. And so I believed it. I thought something was just fundamentally wrong with Wait, did you grow up Pentecostal? No, I was a part of a church called PCA, which is a Presbyterian um, church. But were you depraved because of your accident? No, they said everyone is born that way. And so you need Jesus oh. to become good and whole and, uh-huh. you know, that we are just broken specimens. We come into this world broken and depraved. And that's why we Wait, need even, Jesus. Even more than original sin? Like there's something even more. Part of the original sin story is that is that narrative. It's all, which, by the way, never once is original sin written in the Bible. Not a time. It's not, white man made that shit up. It's not even <laughs> existent. It's fucking, it talks about, it is good. It is good. It is good. Like, we are born good and whole and worthy. Like, my healing journey has been an unlearning of this bullshit narratives that we are taught through the patriarchy, through the church, through our family, through the culture, through everything that's shown to us, you know? And yeah. it's a remembering of what is so right with us and not what's wrong with us. And to go back to your original question, I was so not okay most of my adult life. Like I was so clinically depressed, had several nervous breakdowns, not functional, and so much pain I thought I would die, but just stuffing it down with drugs, which when you stuff pain, you stuff every good, beautiful thing. And now... Now I can look back and see that, you know, all, I mean, I I barely skimmed it, but all the things that happened, all the trauma, my divorce, the affair, all the heartbreak, all the loss, all became these invitations, these entry points for me to ultimately come back home to myself and do the healing work that I believe we're all so worthy of and so deserving of and is for all of us and remembering Uh that inherent value and worthiness and goodness and tenderness and divinity that lives within every single one of us. And the more I do this work and unwind these stories, the more I am able to go out and be a mirror 
of that for everyone. And I think we heal the world by healing ourselves. Like I jumped when I first got out of my bed. I lived in my bed for seven years and had to complete my second nervous breakdown. But this was the biggest one at that point. And I weaned myself off the drugs. I I kind of just pulled picked myself up about my bootstraps and I was like, I'm going to try to help as many people as I can. I want to make this pain purposeful. I want to talk about joy in the suffering and beauty in the brokenness. And, and it came from a really loving, earnest place, but it also, it became my new drug. I needed to be needed, right? Because that became my new form of worthiness. Like, oh, these people think I have all these things to offer. And, you know, they think I'm worthy because I've lived this crazy pain story and I have something to share. But I bypassed doing the work inside. Like, I totally bypassed it because I thought going inside would kill me. The pain was so, my pain had been worse every year for about 14 years, debilitatingly so. Um... And I thought if I went in, I'll die. Like I will die, you know, and that's the only way that we can heal. I learned about how the body keeps the score. I read Dr. Vander Kolt's book, The Body Keeps the Score, and it blew my brains on a level that I can't even describe. Vander Kolt, I'm worried. <laughs> Kolt. Oh, Hulk. Okay, with a K. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back on board. We're back. We're back. He, um talks about the mind-body experience and how our bodies hold on to trauma. And again, I did not learn how to, which, what, I mean, the 1% that maybe learned this growing up, but who knows how to like handle hard emotions. And I wasn't taught how to process trauma. I was taught right. like there's good emotions and bad emotions. And the bad ones, you just push that shit down because you get a right. whip it if you start showing rage or anger. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna pop your ass so hard. Yeah, but also because you were, you, if you grew up religious, I'm sure you are taught that you are a spirit, you are a soul, and you kind of learn to deny your body in some way. Flesh right? is sinful above all else. The flesh so, is yeah. sinful. The heart denied, you know, the heart is deceitful. Like, what the actual literal fuck? Says who? Like, <laughs> what are beautiful hearts that are just. Like, there's so much pure love in there. We are taught the hatred. We are taught, like, we were never broken. Broken, fucked up things happen to, that is earth school. That is a part of it. That is the human experience. And, but in the same vein, we were created to heal. Like, we were create. we were meant for it. And our beautiful brains are so profound, it blows my mind. Our limbic brain, because it doesn't know time, so for example, going back to what we were talking about earlier, your limbic brain does not know time. So that's why when you are having to see these horrific things on television right now, it is re-triggering old traumas, generational traumas that are living within you and your body doesn't know that it's not happening right in this moment because your brain doesn't know time. That's why your responses to things are hysterical when they're historical, because it could have been a trauma that happened pre-verbal. It could have been a trauma that happened 30 years ago, but in your body, it feels as though it's happening right in this moment. And that is why the fight, flight, freeze things happen. But in the same vein, when we do this healing work, this loving, deserving healing work, we can go back in to traumatic experiences and literally your brain doesn't know the difference. I can go back in and reparent myself and tell myself 
all the things that I was so longing to hear, that I needed to hear. I can mentally, like through breathwork experiences, through EMDR, through a lot of different modalities that I've learned, I've literally gone back in and removed myself from doctor's hands that did some really traumatic things to me. I've removed, I've gone back in and taken myself out of situations and carried her out of a room. And my brain doesn't know that that's not exactly how it happened. How though? I don't, I know this. Like- yeah. Well, can you, uh, first, can you explain EMDR? Cause I've actually had guests on my podcast who have said like, that's helped them heal traumatic experiences from their childhood. Yes. So, oh gosh, I should have looked it up before. I'm not a doctor. I don't, but my experience of it is when you are in a safe place with someone that you are in a very, very safe container with. So that usually, obviously, is a therapist. And they can, so they are able to, it can come through, um, tapping on both sides so you're you're basically igniting both sides of your brain the left side and the right side and i don't understand i I'm, I'm not a scientist i don't know um no, i know that eye there's movement they get all for eye movement It's yeah, it, it has to do with like your eye movement. That's the EM. Yeah. The left to the right. Wow. And so they can be tapping your hands, they can have you follow something your eyes, but it's it's to the left and the right. And something about what happens, I don't know how our brains work. I know scientists could tell you all the details of it, <laughs> but what it does, like you can set up a scene. Um, like I've done a scene where I and I write about it in my book where um, after my last spinal cord surgery, when they had to go in and remove the wire from my brain stem, right? Um, after the surgery, like a two days after, I started having severe spinal cord fluid leakage. And it was really dangerous, and I was in debilitating pain. It, I mean, I would have told you I lived at a 10 before that surgery, and then I was like, right. just kidding. <gasps> I didn't have a clue. It was, and I'd been on drugs for so long that for them to even touch my level of pain, it probably would have taken like sedated an elephant, like literally. <laughs> so they could not touch, they could not get my pain under control. And, you know, no one had ever done this surgery before. Like, so there was just a lot of unknown and it was very difficult, but they, um, they needed to go back in and reroute the spinal cord fluid with this like spinal tap way down further my spine to reroute the spinal fluid so it wouldn't be leaking out of my brainstem where my injury was. And Mayo's a teaching hospital. So they sent a student teacher in, which, you know, I didn't know it was a student teacher. What? Like, that's part of it. That's part of it. When you sign up to go to a Livid. teaching hospital. Livid. You're having the first thing in the world and they want to have a fucking intern we've been watching scrubs we know what they don't know they had jd they had season jade, one season, season one, one JD? jd operating on you i can't i can't give me dr cox everyone's done spinal taps this was not the operation <laughs> but they send this little guy in and these two nurses had to roll me over with my big ass neck brace you know and <laughs> i which also in and of itself was just horrific and he you know it's like a a needle the size or bigger of an epidural and he was he couldn't find the spot he couldn't find it <sighs> so he just was stabbing livid, me livid. and i know it was at least 20 minutes probably longer and i was <gasps> just blood curling like popping blood vessel blood curling screams <sighs> like begging them to stop begging them to let me go i was trapped i couldn't move i was held yeah. down 
And it was a very, very, very traumatic experience. Um, and in this EMDR moment, because it's come up, it's, you know, yeah. my body has held on to that trauma, that experience. And through EMDR, the trauma therapist was tapping on my legs, left, right, left, right. And it all happens in your brain. Like you decide what it is, but like literally that's why our brains and our are so brilliant. I did this on my own. She didn't tell me what I needed to go in and do. I did this. So literally my higher self, I don't know if it's like just my soul essence that's never been harmed, <laughs> that's never been damaged, that's never known pain. It's just that pure divine oneness with creation, love. All of a sudden I see, so I'm pinned down. I see her come in. I hear her first and she goes, let go of my Ruthie. And but like yelling it. And then I say her like, get your fucking hands off of her. Essence loves the fuck word, obviously. <laughs> and this guy lets go, the nurses let go, and she comes in and picks me up. And I'm like, my very traumatized version of myself with this neck brace that's dying, you know, in pain gets picked up and curls her little head into my shoulder. And I literally carried her out of the room. I removed her and took her out of that situation. And I have so many situations like that. Like I've done, it was so beautiful. It was like, I got to show up for myself and do what I was screaming and begging someone to do for me. It's a very, uh, back to the future, right? It's a very like, get your goddamn hands off of her. You're going back into these traumatic memories. It's eye movement desensitization and re-something, by the way. <laughs> oh. Hold on. I looked it up. Uh, reprocessing. Reprocessing. That's what it... Your brain doesn't, like, you literally just rewired, created a new neural pathway. And, like, they say at this place, Onsite, my co-host for the Unspoken podcast owns this place called Onsite, and it's an emotional wellness place where you literally, you go away for a week. You can't tell anyone what you do for a living because they say, you know, we live as human doings in the world, not human beings, and we think all of our worth and essence has to do with what... Mm -hmm. I would love that. Honestly, get me out of LA. No one needs to say, what are you working on? Ugh. It's a dream, but you know what? <laughs> it was actually a bit of a mind fuck for me because I knew that my identity was wrapped up in my pain story when I lived in my bed. That was clear, obviously. That's all I thought about, <laughs> right? I didn't realize how much of my identity was still identified with this pain story because what would happen is people would be like, what do you do for a living? I'm a speaker. What do you speak about? Share my story. What's your story? And I could give a five minute elevator pitch and people would be like, whoa, yeah, you yeah, are yeah. so brave. Yeah, I was one of them. You are so, <laughs> right. You're so strong. Like you are, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it made me feel validated. It made me feel worthy. It made me feel like I deserve a seat at the table. I have something to offer. I, I'm so whatever, you know? So impressive, right? It's To me, it's like this idea you hear a story where you're like, Oh, like this is something I've never heard before. And you right. say where you're like, I'm the only person in the world to have this happen. And you're like, so that's you're now officially special. Right. But it's it's also like a, you know? a, a version of like your mom telling you, you know, that's it. 
Exactly. It's still getting my worthiness, my affirmation from something outside of me. And I couldn't tell people what I did for a living. And it shook me up. And all of, and that became an entry point again of that unlearning. Okay, so who am I if I'm not a speaker, if I'm not an author, if I'm not a podcast host, if I'm not this story? We're meaning making species. Mm-hmm. So we have, and we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. So we create these narratives, right? Mm-hmm, to make right. meaning of things, to survive. And so when you strip those away, Ram Das says, I am loving awareness. I am worthy because I am fucking breathing. I am divinely, inherently good, deserving, worthy, love, light, goodness. And that's the journey of like remembering that essence that is inside of all of us. And like that is the most transformative because when you live out of that space, you see the connectivity, like consciousness only allows you to see oneness. There's no me and them. It's we. Everything is we. I am connected to this freaking leaf that I'm looking at right now. I'm connected to that fly that's buzzing and driving me crazy. We're all one. And every if that's why this movement is so important and crucial right now. Because if everyone isn't free, no one is free. Everyone is connected. And unlearning those stories, those narratives that, you know, our identity and anything outside of us is 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 such a disservice to our beautiful wellness, our souls, our beingness. I have a question about, you know, because we are going to answer some people's relationship questions. And so we always like to know where you're coming from. You know what I mean? When you give these, give the feedback again, honey, we ain't doctors, but you know, I got opinions. But I want to know, like, you know, you talk about this journey, right? And I want, and I was, and I guess I wonder, you know, how did that affect your relationships? Obviously, you were very close to your family. I'm, I started the book, like, and I remember, you know, you talked about your father uh, together live too. Like, so I know you had that, right? You came from that place, and you had your brothers, but sort of the um, other friends. And as you, you know, I would imagine that relationships change well, five years see, in mean, the bed, seven years right? in the bed. You were married, and they said there was right. you divorced through this thing. You know, I'm curious about all the, all that kind, you know, from your family your friends to your ex. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, relationships move and shift and change as we change. Like who I am is a very different person than who I was 10 years ago, who I was Mm -hmm. two years ago, who I was five years ago. And so I, and I also really do believe in the law of attraction too. You know, like I think as we start putting out, higher vibration and we start, you know, living out of more abundance, you're going to draw in people that are also living out of more abundance and living out of that higher vibration. Like when I was in high school, I was so basic and I, you know, like so basic. And I thought about just me. And, and so we talked about our body and that's just, that's a part of the journey. I'm not judging that girl, but I, you know, I, all I thought about was how I looked and my body and clothes and how other people, you know, that's, and I, that's how my friends talk. Like that was, and I think those friends that grow with you, those are treasures on a soul. Like I have two best friends that I've been best friends with since teenage years. And we've all 
grown. And the ones, you know, that have it, I love them. I honor the experience I had with them. It's not like we had this hard breakup, but it's just you go and you go, you know, we all are on the journey. And Richard Rohr always calls it order, disorder, reorder. Like we're brought up in this ordered black and white, everything fits in a box, God fits in a box, do this, do that to be safe in the world. And some people never leave that. We know those people. Like they a lot support our president. It's not us against them, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Oh, it's us against them. I... We're all connected. I, We're all connected. Andy. I'm with you up to a point. I'm not denying your experience, but I will definitely. That's But that's a part of the journey. And I was very much in that. And then the next stage is disorder when everything falls apart and it doesn't serve you. And you're like that. Wait, I did all those things and my world imploded in every way, shape. And you just oftentimes throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want. I'm out. This is I, I'm just. I'm out, you know, going to moonwalk out of here. This is not working <laughs> for me. It's like such a shit show, right? And it's just your world implodes. And so often some people only stay there and they don't move to the next stage of reorder where that's where consciousness comes in. And that's when you start feeling the connectivity of everything. And you see, I'm actually at for a while and it's a part of it. I was so angry at God, at the church, at the things, the bullshit lies I was taught that women can't teach, being gay is bad, be, you know, all these stories. It was all white men telling me all the fucking stories. And I wanted to punt them to the moon. I'm like, that's such bullshit. And now I'm like, they were trying to protect me and they just haven't moved. And listen, I live your truth, whatever feels right for you. And I'm so open to be wrong with this, but I really believe in past lives. I'm like, you'll come back until you learn it. Like you don't have to learn. We have free will. We have free will. Ruthie, you're having too much fun. You're <laughs> loving life. You know, I'm not accustomed to it. Well, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's very like your point of view is very existentialist in this way. Like Sartre had this idea. I don't, I I'm not on board exactly, but like, there is this kind of sense where, like, you are in control. He I, he had this thing where, like, I, he was talking about, like, prisoners of war in uh, World War II. Uh, and he's like, you're free if you're free in your mind. Mm-hmm. And there is – there's there's something very appealing about it that I I am – I can't – I want to believe it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dear listeners, Andy here doing the ad read again, and today we're talking about me undies. As the male half of couples therapy, I was asked to do this one because we're talking about boxers, which, and I hope I'm not breaking any confidences, Naomi does not wear. Now, if you're a podcast listener like me, you've heard plenty of ads for me undies, and frankly, I had always thought it's underwear. How special can it be? And then I tried them, and friends, it is like wearing magic. 
It is like wearing a dream. It is so soft, there is nothing earthly I can compare it to. I am embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed to say I'm middle-aged and just finding this out. But the material your underwear is made out of really does make a difference. I won't say where I usually get my boxers from, but for comparison, me undies are like wearing a cloud covered in angel's feathers, and the other ones I wear are like wearing a bear trap smothered in puke. MeUndies got style for everyone, from all black classics to fun expressive prints in sizes extra small to 4XL. And they use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that actually care for their workers. Also, I gotta point this out, there is a particular technology that the folks at MeUndies would like me to discuss. Now, you know Naomi is sex negative and I am sex neutral, so I didn't want to have to say what this technology is, so I asked friend of the show friend in real life mort burke to say the phrase so okay here it goes for any listeners with penises and testicles i can say medical words i can say medical words you might be interested in me undies sophisticated contoured pouch and ball caddy what's that again mort they're incredibly comfortable contoured pouch and ball caddy wonderful thanks buddy Okay, soft underwear comes in all packages at MeUndies. So to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash therapy. That's MeUndies.com slash therapy for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Can we take a minute and talk about Skims? Now, you know I'm a recent Skims convert, having tried their underwear in the last few months, and I am now living lifted, supported, changed. So I decided to keep trying new stuff. And let me tell you, Skims basics and foundations are where it's at. Yes, I recently got the soft, smoothing, seamless t-shirt. And y'all, it is so comfortable. It's been the perfect layer for me. I'm rocking it under a cardigan or a sweater when I want to keep it fitted and fabulous and not look all bulky. I mean, y'all know I'm back to work. Hashtag blessings. And I'm definitely that girl who is always cold in the office. Okay, I need my layers, but I'm still trying to look put together. And the soft, smoothing, seamless shirt is helping me get it right. And I also got the boyfriend t-shirt in Heather Gray, and it is so friggin' soft and comfortable, and it's giving casual but intentional when I wear it with a pair of jeans. I'm feeling very good in it. So if you want to give these and other basics a try, shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small through 4X. Thank you for the range, Skims. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Again, that's skims.com. Go check out everything they've got and the new t-shirt shop. Do you know what I mean? It's I find it so difficult to get to get there. Sure. That's so real. That's so valid. And that makes absolute sense to me. Do I live in that state all the time? No. Of course <laughs> not. Of course not. I can go and do all the things and feel so connected to everything and literally walk out my front door and want to like flip someone off and see so- and like punt someone to the moon that says some racist <laughs> comment. I'm like... You know, and then I get to come back to my higher self and I'm quicker to come back. But like, we, we mm-hmm. can't stay in those, that that's the human <laughs> experience that is so human, of course. And I, you know, I, I, I have so much unlearning to do. I have so much, I, I will be on this journey until I am back wherever we go. And 
that's just, that's part of it. And what I thought even a year ago, I feel so differently about now, you know? But like, okay, but like, okay, so you're in this existential journey, you know what I mean? You're dedicated to this work and this improvement, you know, you're living in Nashville. I'm just like, are you, how are you connecting romantically, emotionally when so many people are basic? Because it's all very, um, as you said, the people who don't get to the new order, the people who maybe, you know, like, we're, it's just hard. It's, like, hard to do. And I feel like, you know, we met at Together Live, which that whole setting is very much, like, the real, right? And, like, the talk. However, I think that even if we weren't there, you're the kind of person who leads with the real. And so many people, uh, we've all kind of been trained to hide the real until you trust or something happens. You know what I mean? And so I'm just, like, for some reason, I just, like, imagine you on a date being, like, so what work do you do? Because if you're not doing the work, I'm going to have to go. <laughs> like, I mean, it, if someone's not on the, I, we don't need to be in the same place. But if they're not on the journey, if they're not being curious, if they're not open, if they're not, I mean, we wouldn't match. They wouldn't like me either. You know what I Like, that's just not a thing. Like, I, and I, dating is a struggle. I, I it has been. It has been difficult. And, I also am surrounded by so much love. I think the story we can tell ourselves is we're alone. We can feel so isolated and alone in the context. I was married for nine years. Like I have never felt so lonely as I did in that marriage. You know, like we can be surrounded by humans and still feel so isolated and so alone. And so in the same vein, I there have been times I mean, this weekend, for example, I went out to the woods. I unplugged everything. I, and I, I felt so surrounded by love. I felt so connected. I felt so, Yeah. it was one of the most beautiful experiences. And I felt, I mean, I'm going to get real. I am very woo woo. I literally, I will hear <laughs> myself say things that two years ago, I would have been like, she has lost her goddamn mind. Like, I would have wanted to put me to the moon. Like, I literally would have thought I lost it. Like, the idea, like, plant medicine. Do y'all even know? Do y'all know about, like, ayahuasca, mm-hmm. psilocybin? So, like, I went out and did plant medicine, which I would hello, what in the world? And it was the most profoundly beautiful, incredible experience and I think when we heal ourselves we heal the world like we can't bypass we can't jump to trying to help other people if we're not willing to do that healing work on ourselves and do I stay there before the big reason I did it is because I have felt some pretty situational low-level depression like after releasing the book in the midst of quarantine it was really hard there were beautiful parts and it was really hard also and then there was like this postpartum thing and I'm like I've been working on this for three and a half years yeah what yeah. the actual fuck am I supposed to do now <laughs> and I can't leave my house and I live alone and none of the work I do on planet earth right now is happening Literally none of it. So it has been so heavy. And then all of what's happening right now has been brought up. And I'm facing the racism that has lived within me because of my lived experience, because of the way I grew up, because of everything that has been taught to me. And I'm really being so confronted with these just underlying, it's like air. It's like the air we breathe and it's in me, you know? And it's 
I'm having to really reckon with myself. And I was just feeling it all, right? And it's just been, I felt this like almost felt like a just weight. And it was important to feel that weight. It's important to feel that weight. This is a, this is out of my privilege. I don't live there. <laughs> I don't have to live there, right? So anyway, it was just, um, it was a profound experience to remember that I am not ever alone. Like I had this image while I was in the woods of myself when I was having a nervous breakdown and unable to sleep and literally went two months without sleeping and feeling so depressed and so traumatized and so terrified and so scared. And I saw all of these like light beings and I saw ancestors, I saw angels just laying in that bed with me. And it was like, I was never alone. We are never, ever, ever alone. The stories we tell us say we are, we tell ourselves, we feel so cut off and disconnected, but everything's connected. And it was just these beautiful visions of like, I'm not alone. So I just went off on a way tangent. I'm not dating anyone. <laughs> like, can you imagine? These You're, men are like, holy hell. We are taught, this is something I've, you know, when I join, I, I'm in the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. And, you know, the foundation of that is solidarity. And I am so utterly uncomfortable with that idea because we grow up in a capitalist society right we were especially the neoliberal capitalist society that we grow up in that atomizes us even uh more than just like a whatever traditional kind of like adam smithy type capitalism is but it it like makes you you're on your own you will never you, you're not supposed to have solidarity with other people you're supposed to buy stuff you pull and yourself that's your, by your bootstrap you, and like, that's your journey. yeah 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 if it, it it's your fault it it cuz it erases uh, the structural problems or it uh, camouflages them. So you don't see those structural right. problems. It's your fault. It's your, fault. it's your fault. It's, yeah. it's a, it said it, it drums this thing into your head where your problems are your fault. And if you're poor, well, you know, fucking deal with it. Right. You, you, there's, there's if no you're remedy. sad. So what? We're all sad. Right. <laughs> or no, it doesn't matter. Like if you're sad, fucking suck it up. Like that's your fault. Right. It, it does. It erases these things or camouflages them. And I fi I found like this profound like I'm still getting used to the idea of solidarity. Right. Mm -hmm. It's because it, you are like to do that kind of stuff or to like feel as this is also the other thing. Like when, you, you know, some of these uh, like ayahuasca um, or any of these kinds of things, like even meditation, whatever, that makes you um, feel oneness. With, e with the world, with the universe, with humans, I'm profoundly uncomfortable with that because it suppresses the ego. And I grew up in such a way that, like, the ego is predominant. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. And uh, it, it's – I find – I when I talk to people who have been able to – be part of that oneness there. I, I, it, I, I'm on edge a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. <laughs> it does. That makes total. And that is your journey. And that is your truth. And I honor that. I make that makes so much. I'm serious. It makes so yeah. much sense to me. I get it. And there are things that make me super uncomfortable. Like, listen, I'm on the journey. I'm not, I haven't arrived anywhere. Like I am, 
<laughs> I am in the messy middle and I will be until I'm not here anymore. You know, and it's messy and it's hard. And actually what's interesting, what Aya does, so ayahuasca. I love it. You did it. You abbreviated it. That's like how cool you are. You're like, is how comfortable you are? That's like comfortable. You're like, Aya, like we're hanging out. <laughs> um, but they call her the grandmother. She was this feminine energy and you, you cleanse and you have to be in pitch darkness. Because everything started out of darkness. So it's taking you back to the beginning. And it's oh, actually so an ego death. It, it's called, they like, it's, it's. See, this is, this is, can I tell you this? The, the, the kind of uncomfortability, whatever, if that's a word that I feel is because I, I'm like, oh, this is where I need to be going. That's where it is. That's, that's, you right. know, whether it is a kind of, um, whether it is through, suppressing the ego in terms of solidarity with uh fellow my fellow socialists or through this kind of like even like more um spiritual kind of thing both i both of them have to happen and so there's this kind of like yeah uh it is a fear of that ego death and uh a pre uh, like you have to mourn yourself you have to mourn this past person that that is dying in this thing. And it's that, that is uh, extremely frightening. And painful. It's extremely painful. You are so right. And it is so terrifying. And again, we also have free will. So you don't have to choose it. You don't have to. Like, that's the beauty. We have free will. And I more often than not choose my ego. I do. Um, and that's what's so interesting. That's why people have crazy experiences with Aya and it sounds so quote unquote dark, which there's no, there's actually, I mean, there's no such thing. It's, it is, um, it's actually so loving and it can feel, um, so painful. Like the first time I did it, I purged. I almost shit myself because it was literally, it was, I swear to you, it was like a releasing of so much trauma and so many stories to come back to the truth, to my essence. And, and that is death is it's pain. It is painful. You are so right. And it also in the same breath is the most freeing, beautiful, sweetest, um, incredible thing that I've experienced. Um, and what was so profound about this last week, I can't believe I'm talking about it, but whatever. Um, but this last weekend, the next day, um, I did Wachuma, which is the masculine energy. And so when you balance, cause we all have masculine, we all have feminine within us, but so often we hear toxic masculinity and like as a female, you can have toxic masculinity within you, you know? Um, mm. But when you go in and you do the masculine the next day, which is all, you're in nature all day long. It's very subtle. You're eating all day. Whereas with Aya, you're cleansing, you're fasting. This, you're just eating clean, healthy food all day. And it's, I mean, there's so much to it. But you, the balance of the two, it's, there's something, it's called the heart opener. And you just feel the it's it um, it feels like the veil just thins and you just feel the connectivity and the oneness and the uh. beauty it's such a very different feeling from the one before that felt like more like a, a death you know um and this feels like new birth it's just huh. the coolest most beautiful i mean i feel like i lost 100 pounds 
over the weekend. <laughs> Truly. It was, yeah. it's profound. And it, and it, you know, then again, you have free will. You get to, I get to choose if I want to stay connected to that, if I want to integrate, if I want to live out of that space, out of that oneness. Cause I don't always, a lot of times I just don't choose it. You know, I, the old neural pathways are still deep. I have, I can want to run back to old things where it's really a self abandonment is what it is. Or I look to anything outside of me to like, numb yeah. to make like I could sit in front of this freaking computer. I'm not kidding for 10 hours and watch the real housewives, 10 hours, <laughs> just like eating my feelings, eating donuts, just want to check <laughs> out. Cause I'm like, this shit is hard you know yeah. life is hard mm-hmm. earth school yeah. holy fuck but i also know in the same breath like all the painful things that happen they brought me home to myself to become who i was always created to be not despite it but because of it like it right and now i can let let it go like the pain story my pain story is the least interesting thing about me like who the fuck cares <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, can I ask, what was the... This is such a beginnings not, episode. It, it may not be a moment, but, like, what was the, what was the, like, the turning point for you where you did kind of take control, right? Where the, all these traumatic things were happening to you, and then there... Because I, like, my, like, very, like, half a percent understanding of that is or my analogy how's that this is better because this is not even the same but like i think about like days where i'm supposed to be doing something productive and i'm just kind of like feeling like off and i'm just sitting on the couch reading or watching tv or something like that and there's always like um a moment where it becomes so unbearable that i just i'm like my brain yells at me and just says, get the fuck up and go write the thing you're supposed to write. Whatever, right? That's an analogy. I'm not even, I'm not saying that it's, it's even on like a spectrum of what you have dealt, of the trauma you've dealt with. But I'm saying like, there is something there like for me and I'm curious if that's the same thing for you, right? Was there that kind of thing? The only thing that ever created a shift and change for me was it was so bad. I, I was so not okay. I was so, I felt so devastated. I felt I was suffering. I was absolutely suffering. And the first, when I first started weaning myself off the drugs, I had had the biggest nervous breakdown in my life so far. I had stopped sleeping. My marriage was coming to an end. Um, I had this crazy bacterial infection called C. diff that I caught in the oh, hospital. Yeah, the stomach. You literally shit yourself all day, every day for months Mm -hmm. and you die. People die from it all the time because you die of shitting yourself. Like, hello, it is the gnarliest. It took me over the edge. I I just, I broke and I wanted to die. I thought everyone's lives would be so much better if I weren't here. I was so entrenched in my suffering. I thought I was the greatest burden. I thought my dad would be so ashamed of who I was. My girlfriend, who was I dedicated my book to, Laura, who died from a horrible drunk driving accident when we were in college. I would think of her obsessively that Laura should be here and not me. Laura would be changing the world. On paper, her injuries weren't even close to mine. And I just, I was suffering. And 
I hit a wall. They say, you know, every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. It took that breakdown for me. Like whatever I was doing, I would have died. I wanted to die. My family wanted to send me away to get help because obviously I was not okay. And I still cared a lot of fully what everyone else thought of me. And I was like, well, something has to shift. And so I literally the next day started weaning myself off the drugs. A lot of it was motivated by fear, but I was also so not okay. And I was so miserable. And I'm like, what I'm doing obviously isn't working. (laughs) This seven years in bed is not working. (laughs) I've always thought maybe two years could do something for me. Just restorative at that point. It took me that long to figure that shit out. And yeah, it was a slow trickle. You know, it's not like I just had this overnight. I've been on this journey now almost, that was almost eight years ago. And I've had a little breakdown since then. And, you know, it's, and every time it allows me to go in deeper and to do deeper healing work. Honestly, writing my book, I had a mini breakdown writing it because you, again, my brain didn't know time. And I, when I lived through it the first time, I was on every drug under the sun watching Real Housewives, <laughs> eating yeah. fucking cosmic brownies. Like, I was not there, <laughs> you know? This time around, I was there, and I was feeling it, and I was not okay. And it, it, I hit a wall. I got back in my bed. I stopped sleeping. I, my pain was worse than it had ever been, and that was so important, that those breakdown moments were so important because it sent me on the deepest healing journey that I've ever been on yet in this life. You know, like I, that's where the unlearning came in. That's when I went to onsite and was like, I'm identified with this pain story. That is my narrative. That's who I believe that I am. And unlearning that and remembering of my inherent value and worth and goodness. I, I wouldn't have gotten to that place had I not been so not okay. Right, right. That right. was that was it, you know? This weekend, I wasn't okay. This last season is just it's done a number on me. It's and I when your book comes out again. All I talked about was like my pain story for <laughs> two months, right? Like yeah, that's, yeah. and that's, you're kind of, it's a little re-traumatizing. And so. I could tell like, even when like, you know, and Andy's asking you like just to describe it and you did, you were like, I was in a car accident. Like there's like this, like you have to like take a breath and kind of get in into it and like tell it without kind of feeling it in a way is what I imagine is part of that too. Like. You know, having to say it a lot. I don't want to be disassociated, which that is like really easy for me to do because of a lot of stuff. Like I can go there real, real quick. So my work has been to re-embody and to come back home to my body who has been holding me. And I thought she was broken. I thought she hated me. I said it all the time. My body hates me. So I in turn hated my body. I thought that was the source of all of my pain and all of my trauma. And for me to go back into her, who's always loving us, who's always calling us home, who longs to heal. And that has been a massive, massive part of my journey. But in telling my story, I have to find the balance of, I can't relive it every time I'm right. right. But I also don't want to be disconnected and disassociated from it because that also isn't of service to the people I'm talking to. You know, mm-hmm. like I want I want my life, my journey to be one of service. I want to do the work on myself so that I can then be a mirror of the hope and love and healing. And if I'm just talking about it from back here, 
that doesn't work. It doesn't connect. It doesn't land, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a balance of the two for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to take a very quick break and then come back and answer one viewer <laughs> question? Sure. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, girl, hey, it is Naomi taking a quick break from hearing Ruthie's dynamic story to remind you that Couples Therapy does have a Patreon. For $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes and other bonus content by going to patreon.com slash couples therapy pod. As we mentioned earlier, we are now independent. So to be a Patreon is to really help a sister and a brother out. Also, while you are up in there, by in there, I mean the internet, you can get Couples Therapy t-shirts. We have a Couples Therapy logo shirt, and we also have a Gotta Miss a Bish t-shirt. And you can get that at CouplesTherapy.MerchNow.com. All right, let's get back to Ruthie. And we're back with Ruthie Lindsay, who is just, honestly, honey, giving me a super soul Sunday, being my sponsor, taking me home. (laughs) I am living... Only because we threw to this earlier. I, I, I have like a thousand more questions for you, but I'm like, <laughs> well, we are taking advice questions from our listeners. So uh, this came to us from Rena from Gmail uh, just uh, earlier in May. And uh, I was in a relationship for the last four months that ended last week due to COVID stress. We communicate very easily and well in person, but have very different technological communication styles, and the strain was so magnified by the situation that it was getting pretty bad. He called it off. I didn't want it to end, but we agreed to talk about it again when things get a bit more quote-unquote normal. This was before uh, the police, the fascist police state exploded, by uh-huh, the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, that's me saying this. You're right. right. <laughs> that's not the letter. Uh, That is, we could reasonably see each other and have a conversation. Uh, Because I have so much sitting and thinking time, I'm starting to wonder whether I was really happy in the relationship. He and I have known each other for two years and had mutual romantic interest for all that time, but the timing has always been off for us. During all the buildup, every interaction seemed magical, and we had a lot of deep emotional conversations and discovered that we share long-term aspirations. In short, it seemed like it would be a great partnership. I'm worried, however, that I built a fantasy version of him in my head, and now I'm trying to be in a relationship with that man rather than the one in front of me. How can I tell if I painted my fantasy relationship onto this one? And if I have, how can I start to see him as is if slash when we have a chance to reconnect? Love the pod, and I'm glad you're Cloroxing. Yeah. Uh, Rita. (laughs) Wow. Rita, that was so insightful and so beautiful. Like, I feel like she answered her own question. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, Rita, you know what's up, sister. Well, yeah, here, I mean, here's the question. So, like, and, and, and this is actually something I was curious about earlier, right? You said that, like, you were unhappy in your marriage, right? Were you, when did you realize that, right? Did you go into it being like, I, I'm unhappy. Maybe I'll become happy. Or did you, you know, were you happy then? Or you, uh, and underneath it was unhappiness. Yes, I was. Um, 
I didn't love myself. And if you don't love yourself, you can't love another person. And I was very codependent and I needed to feel loved and to feel worthiness from someone else. And again, we don't see the world or humans as they are. We see them as we are. So it's always a coming back to yourself. And how does she know? You go inside. You do this work on you. You do this healing work on you. You do trauma work on you. You journal. like Because the more that you are aware of your oneness, of your worthiness, of the love within you, you also you move in the world differently. You just do. You see people differently. You see them as their essence, but that doesn't mean that they're your person, right? Like we, I think it's, it's so easy. I am so guilty of creating the person that I think they are, and it could be good or bad. Mm-hmm. I have this narrative, I have this story through my own lens. Cause like even people reading my book, I'm like, if they think it's amazing, it's really none of my business. And if they think it's terrible, cause everyone's seeing it through their own story, their own trauma, their own pain. And the only way that we can lovingly show up in a relationship without needing to be needed, without needing them to fulfill a place within us that doesn't feel full or whole or complete to go in and do that work on ourselves and that is it's painful and it's the most loving deserving thing that we can ever do and I think her insight is just so she's so wise and so (laughs) you know that is she's very um, intuitive and being aware like wow I think I had something created (laughs) that I wanted to be and now when I'm giving myself space that's kind of been forced upon me the universe gave us a big ass time out it's allowing me space to be like whoa what works what doesn't work what doesn't serve me right well it's also too like that to me that's also a question of when, what got to me was she said was like that feeling of when we were during all the buildup, every interaction seemed magical. Yeah. And there is something so like I know that feeling where sometimes I realize like what I was addicted to was the chase or the excitement, almost the moments, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's, it's the moment it's the in between, right? Like you haven't had a chance to fail each other and like, it's a really fun and you don't really get to see the other side. You're totally, and I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm like, and this is the thing. It's been two years and now you got another a fucking pandemic. You going to be in this in between for a long time. Like they're not going to get to a place for a while just due to our circumstance where they can be, you know, on the other side of buildup. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, how can I tell if I painted my fantasy relationship onto this one? Can you, can you tell if you like, because in our, we we mix as human beings we mix fiction and reality we in such a yeah. like deep way that that especially when it's like something like a relationship it's not like like obviously if you were like how can i tell if this table is solid i would be like well knock on the table and like there's your proof or like right. something scientific it's like how can i tell if i painted a fantasy it's like uh but that's, but that's why I think Ruthie said she's like she knows the answer to her question. Right. That's right. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Right? You don't even ask that if unless you paint yeah. it unless that you, you know you like, painted the fantasy. Because on. even like that way of like we don't know the details of like the different technological communications. I imagine it's like in terms of response and you know utilizing you know if you're going to be apart then you got to like get on the phone and you got to text or you whatever and if that person can't really do that he doesn't like emojis. <laughs> it's like what. 
so it is it's like oh okay because that's the thing there's so many people where it's like oh we vibe you're really cool but like we don't love in the same way or like you're loving you're loving me in a romantic way is actually not the thing and I realized that later like there's so many guys like where I'm like I really appreciate the guy friends I have and the relationships that were never um romantic yeah that were never muddled I was gonna say muddled by sex not even romance it was like hook up like blessed that I didn't hook up with you in college so we could have this just straight up friendship but it is so common and tempting to conflate that connection you have with like well then you know she's a great partnership being like should i marry you because we get along so well <laughs> and you're just like safety oh. like it feels yeah. safe you know i would never have left my husband i i wasn't healthy enough to even though things were i wouldn't i wasn't healthy enough to confront that things weren't okay i wasn't healthy enough to think that i could be i wasn't empowered enough to believe that i would be okay on my own mm -hmm. i just wasn't um, and thank God he was brave enough, which I've told him that, like, thank you that you were brave enough because especially in the South, especially if you grew up in the church, especially if you grew up in this culture, the one that leaves is ostracized. The one that leaves is that yeah. simple. That's not okay. That's the bad guy, you know, and he was brave enough because he knew it wasn't okay to step away. And I would not be doing the work when he left i didn't have the luxury of fear anymore i couldn't worry about not how my body would handle working i couldn't worry about you know that i had zero experience in the shit i was trying to show up to do i didn't have a penny in the bank account so i had to fucking figure it out <laughs> thank god because i didn't have that luxury anymore because i didn't have that support system anymore and i wouldn't i know that i know that i know that i would not be doing the work that I believe I came here to do on the planet if he had not done that. And that is loving. That was for me. That didn't happen to me. That happened for me. Um, right. And that's a shifting, you know, I, I lived in a victim. I was parked on that victim lane for a good long time. <laughs> blinkers on, blinkers on. Car, your seat reclined. You were like, I live here. I parked there. I was parked. And that shifting of that narrative like I really do believe that the universe wants good and beautiful things for me and that things happen for me and not to me and if that's the case if that relationship that was that situation like my life is so beautiful now I came home to myself and I did the work because everything imploded, because everything exploded, because it went to shambles and to shit. And if not, if my life had turned out the way I expected and everything was wonderful, I'd be so basic. I would not ever, I would. I would have just stayed shallow and stayed right. I would have never woken up. I would have never woken up to consciousness, but I, I did because I was miserable. Yeah that I don't know why the universe set it up that way, but that is just the way it is. Do you yeah. think, do you think growing up on a farm, I'm sure, I'm sorry. I'm just like trying to put some pieces together. Do you think that that allowed, you know, it gave you a certain connection to the land and to yourself in a way that other people uh, don't. Right. Uh, and I wonder if that gave you also some kind of foundation to eventually do this work possibly you know I, I i felt very disconnected from it when i was a child very i would 
beg. I would literally, every time I'd go to my girlfriend's homes, anyone's, I was very social and we lived in the middle of nowhere and I just wanted friends. I would daydream about living in town. Literally every time I'd spend the night at a girlfriend's house, I would redecorate their whole home with our furniture. And I would just <laughs> beg my parents to let me be able to run next door and play. I signed myself up to go to summer camp when I was in second grade for a month just so I could be around <laughs> other humans. Cause I'm like, I did not feel one with that nature. I'm like, get me in the city. Let me go run to Dollar General. Like I was not, I'm telling you, I was so basic. But there was, my dad loved it so much. And, you know, I was in force to like, that was my playground. I would just go play in the woods, you know? And so I think that was a gift to me. I think so much of the remembering has been, remembering that oneness and getting like I used to never want to again lived in my bed for seven years in a closed room I was not trying to be outside I was not trying to go like connect with (laughs) nature didn't care and now that's my medicine I don't that that coming back to (laughs) has been um some of the most healing work that I've ever done is like being in mother nature she is my cathedral she is my healer she is you know, and I am just, I don't know, maybe that, that was given, gifted to me on a foundational level through my dad. My mom hated it. She was like moved (laughs) out of New Orleans and hate, like really resented him for a long time for moving her out of the city. Like they met in New Orleans. She was not trying to be a country girl. And I thought I was just like her. I'm like, I am not a country girl. Like I didn't want to be dirty. You know, I'm like, let me go. I want beignets when I want them. Yes. And let me just go watch Kids Incorporated inside. I'm like not trying to play outside. Don't make me sweat. Yes. Oh, my God. That's my thing. I don't want to sweat in public. That's like why I can't live in the South, though. Too hot. And even L.A. Today it's overcast. I've never been happier. When I can just walk without sweating, I feel truly free. You're not trying to be swampy. Well, I'm swampy a lot in the South. It's real. (laughs) I kind of live in that zone. Really? Yes. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for, for talking to us. You're the best. You're the best. I'm so appreciative that you asked me. And yeah, this has been a real treat. I'm really, really grateful. It's re- it's but for us to all live in hell 2020 right now, to be able to talk to someone who is so positive, who has gone through so much and come out so positive the other side. This was genuinely, I'm not saying this. I have to. Say, I feel like I have to say this stuff out here he in can Hollywood. Never, he can never just compliment. He's always because got a preface. There's too many people He's out here that preface. just that use that just throw compliments around. Andy, just say it, it. has been a joy. <laughs> what an honor! Thank you, Andy. I'm, this has been such a joy for me too. I really have enjoyed this so much. It's really, truly, I'm so, so, so appreciative. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 